You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News, and today we're going to talk about the Pacers by not talking about the Pacers again and dive into another <laughs> draft prospect, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. I am biased to hate Johnny Davis because IU is going to win in Wisconsin for the first time in forever, and then they got outscored mm-hmm. by 22 points in the second half and lost, and Davis had 23 points in that game. That said, very interesting draft prospect in theory just behind the Pacers range, but you never know how these trades are going to go, and it's very important to break down all of the players that you possibly can. And Davis will be an interesting one. He had a fun season in Wisconsin. Joining me to do that, you might have heard him on Tag the Roll, talking with Mark Schindler, who's been on this show and Indy Cornrows a million times from Cerebro Sports, Jake Rosen. Jake, is this draft cycle your favorite, your least favorite? How does this stack up to previous <laughs> draft analyses? I, I definitely wouldn't say my favorite. Uh, let's say we're rolling with three drafts, which I've done, the, this being the third, in, in which I've taken it very seriously and scouted throughout the year, um, tracked the prospects for multiple years. I always indebted to Tony because uh, that was kind of the first year that I was really doing this um, seriously. But uh, I would say 2021 was my favorite. The guys at the top there were super fun. And then Wings, like Franz Wagner and Giddy. Um, I think is that with those big wing playmakers and their ability to handle play, uh, for Franz, play both sides of the floor. I'm mean, just be that Swiss Army knife. Uh, I kind of fell in love with like the top ten of that class. Um, this one a little different. Have my guys um, ready to talk to you about one of them. Uh, you said well, I wanted to go two things that you mentioned in the intro. I was at the game when they. I am a Wisconsin oh. student, so I was I was at the game. Uh, my friends and I contemplated leaving at the under four timeout in the first half. <laughs> that was a real conversation. Uh, luckily, we stuck it out and um, watched Johnny Davis propel one hell of a comeback. Secondly, um, you mentioned that he is looking to be behind their draft range, and I would like to push back on that a little bit. Ooh. This is what you're here for, right? To talk to me yeah, about Johnny Davis. <laughs> he, okay, so I'll, he's inside my top 10. So I guess he's not outside their range, depending on how you tier things and stuff like that. Just when I say stuff like that, I often feel like I have to go on like perception of people who actually know stuff because I know some stuff, but not everything. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people potentially do have him in that range. And he is a very interesting player. Uh, what stands out to me is not necessarily the skills for him, but. I really like Johnny Davis as a defensive prospect. And you got me on this, actually, with one of your tweets uh, with the word bend in it. And Adam Spinella and I were Mm -hmm. talking about that when we did a show about uh, Keegan Murray as well, even though Keegan's is not the same as Johnny Davis. But Johnny Davis on defense just (laughs) is blowing stuff up and all around the the right places of the court. And, you know, he's really good at staying in the play. One of the better off-ball defenders of a lot of these top guys in this class. And I think the defensive end is where he stands out to me as a really solid prospect that projects well at the NBA level. Yeah, definitely underrated defensively. Uh, both, I think, at the point of attack and um, off the ball. At the point of attack, can kind of get a little like flat-footed, and so he's not the most quick-twitch athlete. But where he does, like his tools are so functional on both ends of the floor. You, you mentioned super agile, like dip the shoulder, take proper, and really smart player off the ball. 
um, uses length and passing lanes is super instinctual. Like there's just so many times throughout Wisconsin season, like you'd just be defending one pass away that he would seek out a lazy pass, just swing around the perimeter, jump in, take it for two points. Um, so and it was just so routine. So I definitely agree with you that I think um, the defense and two way upside of him is getting a little bit underrated. I think a little too often see him. I think it's going to change a little bit now, but throughout the year. Um, I would often see him build as this microwave scorer, um, someone who needed a lot of shots. I personally don't think that's the case. I think that was uh, by virtue of his surroundings and what was asked of him, which, which was if Johnny excelled and scored 20 points, Wisconsin didn't have a chance of winning a basketball game. Uh, that's just the sheer nature of his uh, college situation. But back to the defense, I mean, I do really think uh, as someone who's going to guard off guards and even wings um, can be a presence off the ball really good at trailing and his screen navigation is awesome um so yeah i think it's a really good place to start it's, it's definitely something that i'm glad to see get talked about more i agree with all that and you know what's funny about him as a prospect especially the stuff he's good at is like i don't want to accuse anyone of anything but i feel like a lot of times when i start on on these research projects i see a lot of lazy takes of draft analysis and the johnny davis one is always you know, his highlight package isn't sexy and he shoots, what, 31% from three and everyone's like, nothing, he's yeah. nothing. But his defense, <laughs> like the stuff he's good at is not unconventional, but still really important, just not the stuff that, you know, pops off the page of you just like high level look at the guy. And that's why he's so fascinating to me, especially on the defensive end. It's like, like to go back to what you said about Ben, and I'm going to apply this to both ends of the floor, really. You don't think of a guy like lowering his shoulder around a screen and staying in front of his defender as like this skill that is so important, but it is really important. Like there's a pick and roll almost every possession in the NBA. And that's super important for his defensive growth in the pro level. And that applies to him on offense too, because something that he does really well when he's handling the ball as a ball handler in the pick and roll is he still rubs shoulders with the screener, right? He's good at using that as an advantage to create his own shot, even though the shot isn't always from the best spot on the floor. We'll talk about that. But that is like the way he's able to kind of, you know, operate in tight spaces and curl around advantages just is really impressive to me. And I think that that ability to not get sped up in those situations on both ends is what makes him such a special, not special, like awesome, but like special prospect in that way. It's functional tools. I mean, that's kind of like what I've been preaching from Johnny all year. Um, I mean, I've obviously watched a ton of Wisconsin basketball and um, to whether it be to people on Twitter or even my friends, because um, they'd often, whenever he had a down game, I'd doubt him. Just like, well, what else do you want? Like we were or in a position to do anything. Um, no down games. So, no down games. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, as you pointed out, there's pick and rolls on almost every possession. And especially I think it gives him equity when you're obviously when you're playing against shooters some someone who as mentioned, can super lock and trail and trust him to navigate screens trust him to stay attached to people and i trust him off the ball to help i'm just playing that a weak side corner someone you, you can rely to tag and keep the defense honest um he's not gonna blow miss rotations he's not gonna blow responsibilities um, so i think he's sound on defense um and i think it's interesting because like the guard defense is tough because i, I feel like you either have like this one end of the spectrum of these just ridiculously like like De- like Davion Mitchell. It was so clear as day that like when you watch Davion Mitchell, he was giving the opponent hell at the point of attack. That was easy, clear to say to see and super valuable. Like I think like disruptive attack defense, even for guards, is still very underrated. And I think when you don't have that, it you're incurring other problems on your backline defense. But it's a conversation for another day. The point being that I think when guard defense initially gets um, people are the flashy stuff where it's either like ridiculously athletic blocks or just 
insanely disruptive point of attack defense. I don't want to say Johnny doesn't do either of them, but that's not where he shines the best. Like it's off the ball. It's zoning out gaps properly. It's using his tools. It's being instinctual. It's anticipating what the opponent does. And then like these things that look like flashes, just he continually strings them together game after game. Um, so yeah, I think the defense is a really good point for him. I remember a few months back, someone was like, I think Johnny is a better defensive prospect than offensive prospect, um, which I personally disagree with at the time. I think I Ooh, still... I was going to say I might agree with yeah. that. Yeah, I, I personally still disagree with it, but it's more so like I'm personally higher on his offense. Like it's not in like I completely understand why someone would say that. Um, I'm just like higher on what he can do on the offensive side of the ball, but I do think it's a testament to like, yeah, the efficiency wasn't always perfect and it didn't always look great, but the fact that you can say that like a 20 points per game score is a better defensive prospect than offensive prospect, like I think that's a testament to how good his defense truly is. I definitely agree with all that. His defense is really special. You know what team? He would thrive on on defense, the Raptors. <laughs> like All his defensive yeah. principles and what the Raptors do on defense, he'd be absolutely perfect in that system. So people have already clicked away because this is too much defense talk, and people want to talk about points and scoring, Jake. But uh, his offensive game is very – I keep saying interesting. His offensive game is standout-ish to me because it's different than a lot of what makes prospects pop. Like he is a mid-range dude. That's where he really is solid. Uh, you know, at the rim, he's fine. One per- CBB analytics. I don't know if that's where you use your shot charts from, but one percent below yeah, NCA average at the rim. Great. That's that's fine. Whatever. He takes hard shots. Every college team has a big man parked three feet from the basket. If you're close enough to league average, I'm fine with that, especially when you're creating your own shots. But in the mid range and in the restricted area, he's a special player in, in terms of finishing plays. And I always really value that skill because you know to, to talk about Karis Levert for a second. I've used this as a proxy for other prospects before. Karis Levert would get run off the three-point line and then have nothing going for him his first couple years in the league. Then he got a floater, and all of a sudden he could score still when he would get past guys. And Davis already has that mid-range game, that in-between game, and that's why I think you know maybe the shot won't be there right away in the pro level, but if he can ever like stretch out at all, he's already got the counters down, and he'll be able to score for himself in a way that is meaningful at the pro level. 100%. I mean, you, you already got the ball rolling into where I wanted to go, which was, <laughs> I, I think a lot when you watch, I, I think speaking to a lot of people who did not watch Wisconsin at all throughout the year and are now like just turning on the film to see what Johnny's about. Like, and we haven't spoken about this. So I don't know where you say on this, but like people are just distraught, like at the amount that Johnny had to do and like everything, like every shot that he arrived at was just like almost solely created by him. Like, yeah, he would get some pick and roll, but the notion of someone on Wisconsin bending the defense and creating an advantage to then kick out to him and allow Johnny to play out of that um, was somewhat of a foreign concept. And to like Johnny is not entirely innocent here. Um, there were a, there were occurrences, most notably in the first half of that Indiana game that I can remember because I was watching it live. And it was infuriating. Is that when the ball is kicked out to you, shoot the catch and shoot three. Um, you d- not everything needs to be a one drill mid range pull up. So that will be a development from him to just. Trust your three-point shot. I, I do think he's better than a 30% uh, three-point shooter. Caught a real bad end, like, which may or may not be a coincidence considering his injury and all that stuff. But uh, I trust the shot to a decent extent, especially in, in large part to how good he is in the mid-range area and uh, operating there. So you hit the nail on the head. The counter's already there. And I think you're already kind of talking from a lens where I want to go, which is like envisioning Johnny Davis – as a secondary or complementary or even tertiary creator, um, not in the role that he was at Wisconsin. I do not 
picture him being your number one scorer. Maybe not even your number two scorer, but someone who can reliably keep the defense honest, keep rotations going, keep redriving, and just attack and get to these score, even scoring counters. Um, we'll talk about the playmaking because I do think it's a little bit of an undertalk point. But and if you're playing an NBA offense, you're playing off Tyrese Halliburton. Um, and Tyrese Halliburton is drawing multiple vendors, whipping a skip pass to you. Like, I trust Johnny Davis to attack and either put pressure off as a scorer, whether it be from the mid-range floater or at the rim, or, you know, leverage his scoring gravity, that redrive gravity and scramble, and make the right read, um, the playmaking that definitely increased throughout the year. So um, in the draft, I think people a little bit underselling the ability of Johnny's creation, like under the lens or assumption that it can – like it can't get um scaled alongside other creators and i think that's like really when he'd be at his best hey guys really quick want to take a break to talk to you about prize picks are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the nba then you need to try the award-winning app prize picks it's daily fantasy made easy i love it and i know you will too it's easy to use you pick two to five players and an over under on their projection duke went up to 10 times on any entry it's just you versus their projected numbers entries can be made in 60 seconds or less it's super easy it's safe enough for fast withdrawals, and you can use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. PrizePix offers any prop you can think of, points, rebounds, steals, blocks, you name it, they've got it. You can do mixed sport entries, so you can combine maybe the NBA Finals with the MLB, for example, and they don't just offer NBA. They have options on college basketball, college football, NFB, like I said, MLB, MMA, and more. So for a limited time, PrizePix has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our users. You can get $50 for free if a player in your first PrizePix entry scores a single point. But you got to use the code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to Locked On fans. Sign up today. Use the code NBA for $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point. Prize picks, daily fantasy made easy. Yeah, the, the thing about the creation when I watch him a lot is, you know, when he catches the ball, he sizes up the situation a lot, right? And that is good. <laughs> you know, knowing what's happening is good. Making a play when you have all the information available is good. Reading the defense is good. It also, like, slows the play down. He doesn't make the quick Popovich decision sometimes. And so if I think the third option spot is better you know, for him, at, at, especially early in his career, when he can read the defense away from the place. So when he catches, he can make those quicker decisions. I don't know what the perfect term for this is. It's just, you know, reading the defense is good, but sometimes it would, like, grind things to a halt for Wisconsin in a way that, you know, kind of transitioning to negatives on purpose that, you know, I think he can be a playmaker for himself, especially in that second or third role. But if it has to be for other guys, because he'll have to read the defense to see where his teammates are and see how the offense is setting up, you know, I think he will be a better offensive player than I think a lot of people are projecting. But I think because it takes him a second to kind of assess the situation and that he can get better at this, you know, that's the point of weaknesses. But that's where I kind of fall short of the playmaking part that you're kind of talking about is like, it takes him a second to analyze those pieces. It feels like at least on the catch. So are you referencing like to him, like attacking, like attacking a closeout and reading where to go? Nah, not even necessarily a closeout, just like in general, you know, on the catch coming around a screen or anything really. No, I get that. I mean, and a lot of his, a lot of his refs at Wisconsin were slowed down. Wisconsin plays a very slow paced uh, brand. Of yes, they do. Not ex- yes. <laughs> I'm not excusing, you know, not acting on the fly and making the correct read, but I, I do think under certain situations in which he was able to get downhill immediately, um, master at projecting the screen, uh, maybe a little bit too much, but has a little <laughs> Tyler Hero, has a little Tyler Hero in him there when it comes to just masterful. Like that's what I love about Johnny is his able to his ability to set up defenses and you know win on the margins. He, like he's 
in the beginning of the year, he was definitely burstier than towards the end. I think uh, fatigue and injury kind of caught up to him there. In addition to everyone else realizing that if you just swarm Johnny Davis, like you were probably going to have a good chance of beating Wisconsin. Um, so I think all those factors working together kind of made things tougher in the last month and a half of the season. But I, I like what I love so much about his game attacking is like when he's operating the pick and roll, knowing when to set up, knowing how to read coverages, being decisive about where he's attacking. Um, just, just again, the functional tools, his awesome, his ability to you know use, he's a strong off guard, um, has a real frame about him and his ability to get into the teeth of defenses, dislodge them with subtle shoulder dips um, he, and just like get to his push shots. I guess it's not perfect. It's not the most pretty, beautiful thing in basketball. Certainly not like Jaden Ivey when it comes to aesthetics, but he gets the job done. Um, and, and and I think Johnny eating up space in, in a complimentary role, given that the shot um, comes around, the shot doesn't come around, things get a little dicey. And I think that's a, a definite weakness that I'm aware of as, as someone who's definitely higher on him, that if the shot doesn't come around and he's drawing shallow closeouts, uh, the handle's fine. I definitely have some ball control issues with him. So if all of a sudden um, these closeouts aren't erratic and they're shallow closeouts, people are operating on your hip, the handle's a little shaky. Uh, now we're talking about resorting to these contested mid-range pull-ups, and we're not really bending the defense on that second or third redraft. It's more so just winning in a vacuum and winning or losing by way of tough contested pull-ups, which is, I think, what you saw a lot of at Wisconsin, um, which I am not a fan of. I think uh, that's probably not what Pacers fans are looking for either. On the contrary... If he's someone that you're concerned with shooting the ball, that closeout's going to let swing pass is going to look a lot different. And the defensive attention he's going to garner on that second or third side is going to enable him to get to those counters that we talked about, getting to the one drill pull up, getting all, maybe even getting all to the rim. Like he had, I think, I can't remember, but like he basically had like 10 or something of like his 13 dunks within the first half of the season. Um, So he does, he does have some real pop to him. And most notably that poster against Indiana. You don't do that if you no, can't really no. jump. Um, I do not recall <laughs> the story that you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking so, about. So yeah, that, that, was, that was a real deal poster. But yeah, that's, uh, that's one thing that I do uh, think is worth coming over a little bit more is, is the jump shot because of the effects that it will have uh, from a spiraling down perspective. 16 minutes in is the second farthest out of, I think this is my 11th draft prospect show I've made it without talking about shooting or three-point shooting. Keegan Murray made it longer. There was a lot of, there's a lot to talk about with Keegan Murray, so I made it longer with him. Johnny Davis gets second place so far. Although I'm doing Mark Williams pretty soon. (laughs) I don't even think I'll have to shoot for that whole episode. So so that one's going to skate by. Yeah, the three, you know, the the lazy analysis, I'll do it first, is, you know, 31% is not great. Uh, the form is fine. He makes tough mid-rangers. That projects well in terms of shooting. The, the free throw percentage looks like it's going to be fine. He shot much better his freshman year, but only took like 40. I forget the number. I should have it up in front of me. So I don't know how to feel about the outside jumper, but I do think mechanics-wise, free throw percentage-wise, the shots he takes at Wisconsin, too, like you said, like all the attention to stop Johnny Davis, it will be better than 31%. I think he can get to be an average three-point shooter, which is good, especially if he is not you know, the primary option. If he's an away-from-the-play guy, great. That is a fantastic shooter. But it's a really – I wouldn't call it a weakness for sure, but I would not call it a strength for him either as a prospect. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I just just to say, like, if you are someone who values unassisted twos and shooting projection, like this is 
pretty much your guy. Like you are obligated to right. bet on this person. Um, right. Dating back to high school, this is who he was. Tough shot maker, ridiculous touch. Um, and I don't care about your contest. I'm going to elevate right over you. Some, someone's going to tell me in my ear, it's a dog shit shot. I'm going to take it anyways. And I'm going okay. to like make a good one. And this is what he does. Um, so yeah, I understand that. And, and you know, this is kind of the discourse that I would have with uh, Wisconsin people all throughout the year. And I kind of, it was interesting because people are always coming to me, like in the beginning, they're like, people, Johnny is 10. I'm like, yeah, you're crazy. Like we might have a first round pick, but like, stop. And it became very evident that like, this was something, someone that was like going to go in the lottery, uh, the top 10 probably. Um, and then throughout the year, and my, I don't really have a ton of issues with like how Johnny generates his offense. And I don't think whoever drafts him should either. Like, yes, there were definite, definite areas of, shot selection that could be tightened up. And I think will be tightened up when his offensive burden is lessened. Um, he's a tough shot maker. those in the NBA. You don't get to praise them when they're making shots and say, you need to take different shots when they're missing them. It's the way it goes. Right. Like that's the double-edged sort of tough shot making. Um, so, but I, with that being said, like he is good at them um, and ha- always has been good at them. So, if you are someone who is intrigued by the idea of unassisted twos and self-created middies that go down being extrapolated into three-pointers, this is your guy from an ability standpoint. Who again think there is, because he has been so mid-range oriented since I first watched him, which like the earliest Johnny I've seen is his high school stuff. Um, I think there's going to be a mental roadblock where he just catches and lets it fly from three with like, no hesitation and without being so keen on getting to the mid-range spot but uh i think th- those are two separate conversations like the mental approach and what shots am i looking for how am i going to balance out my shot profile and like can i make this shot um i do think like he has attainable you know i think he can hit both of those things but they are independent to me at least rick carlisle beat the three ball into him <laughs> if any coach is gonna do it it's gonna be it's gonna be rick you said midi in there and and I started thinking about what if we made every basketball term end in the letter Y, <laughs> and then I got stuck thinking of a bunch of random stuff that didn't matter. So that's <laughs> a totally totally different topic that I would do another podcast on. The last thing I want to talk about in the weaknesses group, and feel free to add one after I say this. You mentioned playmaking earlier, and his passing. You know, he, I don't think he ever threw a pass that I was like, oh. Nice. You know, I threw that dude open and I'm like, wow, that was cool. And I have not watched all his games or nearly as much of him as you have. But, you know, that's not like a negative. Again, the simple pass is great. He's got that down and he, he assesses the D and makes passes. It's not like he's like a criminally bad passer throwing it to their team live ball all the time. But his playmaking and, and passing in general to his teammates never stood out to me as a strength. And I don't know if I'd go as far as being this, but it is close to the point where and he was, like you said, swarmed on that team. You know, I would say if he needs to have like one-on-one or even one-on broken defense situations to be like an average passer in the NBA to me. I'm a little um, – I'm going to push back a little bit. You said bit, that earlier, honestly. so I'm curious um, what you got here. So, one, I have a clip from you. Or I, I will send you a clip uh, from Good. the game at Indiana uh, about 10 minutes into the game. It, it, was, it was a very pretty offhanded laser from uh, the left, we'll call it alley, um, where he was driving into the opposite corner. Um, which is a good one. Then there was another good pass inside out, I think, I believe. But um, I, so with Johnny, yes, you're not getting, like, there were very few instances where he can roll diagnosing the low man and either manipulating him into, like, he's going to hit the tag or he's going to hit the weak side corner. Like, that stuff was not necessarily there. What I liked from him 
um, especially throughout the season. I think as he started to get comfortable with this defensive attention and when he got into the mid-range area, understanding that the threat of him rising up was so taxing for the defense and on their scouting report that basically he was going to have 10, 10 eyes on him. Um, what I, he did impress me as the season went on was as an interior passer, um, like going from the like passing from the mid range to under the basket, or yes, you know, in the paint to the dunker spot. Again, elementary reads, nothing out of the ordinary and super uh, crazy. Air, but I do think when contextualized with the role, again, it's it's how is Johnny going to drive value? Um, and I personally believe as a scorer, um, as a complimentary handler who can run some actions and score. He is going to do a lot of his scoring from the mid-range and high paint area. The ability to make the reads from that area where you're going to be like consistently operating within as a scorer to then read the defense which, which is in front of you and dissect whether you have a window to throw this d- dump-off pass or whether you like maybe he can develop, yeah, I'm reading this, they're dropping down, they took away my drop-off, I'm going to hit the kick-out. Um, I don't know if that's like how quickly or soon of a development that is, but I do think that his increased comfort playmaking out of this where he's extremely comfortable scoring. And I think those from, that was a noteworthy development for me. I, I'm not sure I'd go as far as to say as a strength because again, it was a lot of one-stop reads and from the interior, but I do think uh, he showed an increased proficiency and at least willingness uh, to read, I would say. Anything else you'd add as a weakness? The only other note I have is like he's a quick first step, but isn't fast. But those things kind of counteract each other in a way that doesn't make it either a strength or a negative. But anything you'd add here? Handle, um, handle for me, absolutely. It, it is something I'd love to see get tightened up. I don't need him. I, I think he's done such a good job learning how to compensate, which is I would never. Johnny's never going to be the dude that's yanking guys uh, on the perimeter. It's just not going to happen. Um, that's not how he wins. He wins with. Like, as you said, a quick first step, getting to his spots quickly and then making his money's worth before you can fully recover and take it away from him. That being said, I would like to see him handle more pick and roll. I would like to see him maybe initiate um, again. Like, basically what I'm getting at is his ball control um, was very loose at times. And, and when defenses got into his grill and kind of got physical with him the tools so like he has the frame to be unbothered and he can kind of shield them off with his shoulders and his chest and kind of hold his ground but when they really got into like his hands a lot of times you would see a loose handle um so definitely ball control i think that would do a world's um, difference for him if you know he could just be a little bit tighter with that handle get to spots a little cleaner um and then i think it would just kind of open up his ability to maybe get a slightly better look uh in the mid-range Ranger is slightly more open. Uh, a lot of times, he kind of found himself like getting the initial advantage, but either the push dribble to get to that spot or the pickup was a little wonky. So then he's fumbling the ball, and like all you need is a little split second for the defender to get back into the play, kind of muck things up a little bit. So I would say handle um, is one of my weaknesses for him at the very moment. One more break here, guys, so we can talk about Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is making the best-tasting protein bars ever, and they've got a new one, Caramel Brownie. Don't you love a good chewy chocolate brownie? What about a caramel brownie with caramel swirled on top? So good. What if I told you you can have all that and a chewy, chocolatey deliciousness with 17 grams of protein? You're in luck. Caramel Brownie Bars now available at Bilt.com right now. you got to act fast because they're a fan favorite. Forget dessert. These are better than dessert, and the macros are unreal. 130 calories. That's it. 17 grams of protein, only 4 grams of sugar. 
basically a regular brownie, but with Built Bars flavors in a heartbeat. It's way better. The best part, caramel brownie bars are 100% covered in chocolate like all the rest of the Built Bars with real flavor. You don't have to sacrifice taste for health. You can have both, and all Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently, provides a ton of health benefits, a million of reasons you should try Built Bars. But for now, let's just say the caramel brownie will rock your world, not an understatement. You got to try them today. Go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 when you check out. You can get 15% off your order of Built Bars. That promo code, again, is LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. You know, after watching Jalen Brown in the playoffs, the handle discussion is in my mind a little <laughs> more often don't, than it was before the postseason started. We don't use I watched Jaylen Paul Brown. George go from – go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, we don't we don't uh, use Jalen Brown to extrapolate player development. Play. Dangerous. <laughs> yeah, him and PG Dangerous. both went from horrible handle to credible handle, although JB yeah. getting swarmed by JB is a little eh, – but it still works. <laughs> JB is more power to him. Um, as someone who has P- watched – PG was – PG might be like of the last decade. The He's not even a decade. That's older than that now, which is crazy. But one of the best like no handle to like – not quite elite, but pretty good handles ever. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Crazy. I mean, but JV is just uh, – as someone who has watched college – went back and watched college JV um, with an unbiased lens, boy, um, some stuff in basketball doesn't always add up. No, we can leave it at that. No. I remember when he went three, everybody was very surprised. Jalen Brown went three, and then the Celtics got the last laugh on that. Certainly. Here, 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 here we are with finals tipping off in 30 minutes. Uh, which yeah. Is, <laughs> this is going to be airing next – you don't know this, but this is airing <laughs> – this is airing next week, so the, the finals have been going on for at least two games. But we are recording this before the tip-off upside finals. That said, speaking of the finals in the NBA, projecting guys into the NBA is always a, a little hard. It's a little bit of a guessing game. And, you know, I like to talk about fit with the Pacers and specifically Halliburton because NBA teams change really fast. So it's hard to say this team context is what he has to fit into right now. But that said, Halliburton will likely be with the Pacers for a long time at least. Uh, but I start zoomed out and I kind of say, okay – you know, when the game is faster, when the game is more spread out, when there's more pick and roll, there's not someone standing under the basket as often, can this guy's strengths or can this guy's, you know, fallback efficiency things still work? And for Johnny Davis, because like I said, you know, something you brought up earlier, because I view him as better at, on defense than offense, and I don't even think he's bad on offense, I say 100% yes, he'll translate to the NBA because being able to be you know, a threat around the play all the time on defense is so valuable. You're seeing that in the postseason. Like, even Oladipo struggling on offense sometimes for the Heat, like his defensive disruption was so valuable for Miami in that conference finals, just as an example player, even when he wasn't always around the ball, right? So I definitely think he'll translate, Johnny Davis will translate very well on the defensive end and on the offensive end in the right role, like the one you described earlier where he's more secondary, tertiary creator. I also think his game will translate for similar reasons that he won't be you know, being guarded by seven players at once. So I think his game will translate pretty well to the NBA, but uh, if it translate for it to translate perfectly, I think the shot would have to be a part of that growth. And that's the kind of the TBD part that makes it hard to perfectly figure out what he'll be at the pro level. No, I, I completely agree with everything you said. I think it's worth like Wisconsin played with two non-shooters on the floor pretty much at all times. And that's not including Chucky Hepburn, who uh, pretty much played all 40 every single game and, was a fine, fine shooter, um, but it, you know there was just not really anyone else to consistently instill the fear of offense into opposing defenses, other than Johnny. Um, so from a uh, going from an arc, 
Wow. Wisconsin was 319th in three-point percentage in the NCAA last year. Oh, I'm not like making this up. I've watched 20 I didn't realize how bad it was. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, employing two non-shooters, like complete non-threats um, at all times. And then, you know, you had Brad, who's whatever, Brad Davison, um, and Chuck Epperin, who started to come on at the end of the year. But again, not necessarily a three-point nuclear threat. And then you had Johnny, who had his struggles in his own right. But by no means complimented by a set of players. And I think, you know, I'm going to be singing it for the next three weeks because it's three weeks of draft until now. Like, you put basically any, I, I mean, you put almost all other prospects in Johnny's shoes and say, you know, go do this. Um, obviously, Johnny's game is suited, suited for it in a unique way because he is capable living off of tough jumpers. Um, I, I think he leaned into it too much, was asked of him. But um, I, I think he was uniquely suited to combat it, but also uniquely suited to fall victim to uh, the greatest detriments. And I, and I think you saw both those throughout the, uh, this time this year. You saw the good more frequently in the early season than when he came off the injury. He was in down, downswing and couldn't really make these tough shot, shots consistently. You saw the flaws, grew their head. Um, but I would say to, like, from you, like, you're obviously way, way, way more equipped to talk to You know, where do you – I think this is where – you kind of have to start. Where do you see Halliburton? Um, like, do you see him as a point guard or do you see him as someone who's best served as a secondary? Like, this is where we have to start. Yes. You will not find, well, maybe you will. There are a lot of people pretty high on Tyrese Halliburton, but it is hard to find people higher on Tyrese Halliburton than, than I am. Uh, mm-hmm. Already a really good manipulator at a lot of the stuff you said earlier, especially in pick and roll, pull up shooting. Like, those two skills combined is like, what, 10 guys in the NBA, right? It's so rare to be elite at both of those and something I was talking about with guys from the 2020 draft like they've been in the league for like 16 months you know like they're just now about to hit like their first full off season and a big time for growth I think yeah. he'll be a primary I think he should be and I think the Pacers definitely need to force him to do that as soon as possible in terms of their roster construction so I'm very high on him and I view him as a primary guy I mean I'm so like I think again you are well more suited than me but I do enjoy watching um so i would hop on the pacers league pass every once in a while i do have some concerns a little bit um just in terms of like generating consistent paint touches and being a little bit reliant on pick and rolls and scheme but hallie is an absolute genius and in terms of what's going to need to thrive which is creating tilted defenses and sending them into rotational frenzies i mean few young guys are better at it than um just an absolute basketball wizard i'm pretty infatuated with the pairing of them i don't like this is where me and you might differ a little bit um maybe not because you might not be like as high as johnny i think you mentioned that you'd rather see him as a third guy um rebuilding is hard it's really hard yeah i'm a knicks fan rebuilding is really hard <laughs> it might never happen as shown by the knicks however the pacers have a really 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 good and valuable young piece in Tyrus Albert. Like he's a long career in this league. The Pacers are going to be able to have him in Indiana for however long they please, barring any trade requests. And they can now, I don't want to say build around him, but build with him. Like build with the idea of Tyrese Albert. I do not operate under the guides that your next, like whoever you draft, and this is why I was super high on Franz Wagner, and he's even exceeded my ex- in this particular facet. 
I do not operate under the draft philosophy, guys, that your next pick needs to be like your problem solver, your ultimate problem solver. Obviously, you're looking to slowly but surely plug gaps and make sure like you know, cover up the holes that are leaking a little bit and we can slowly patch them all up. But like I personally believe in, yes, upside plays are upside plays. And I, I, I see I know when I see one. And unfortunately, the Pacers ping pong balls didn't fall the right way to go get in my opinion absolute guy in this draft which is jay nivy um which is a match made in heaven with tyrese halliburton and this podcast would be a lot easier if they were sitting at three i four. also love however jay and um that's but however my point is i'm not even quite sure the Pacers are in a position to run with those two um you know is the rest of the ecosystem intact so my pitch to johnny i, I am fully under that like let's say the draft order goes um you have your four that are going to go which is your top three and then four or fifth like let's just say those four guys are off the board um i know keegan murray's gonna have a lot of fans i I don't hate it just because you're stockpiling basketball players and that's never a bad thing like i see a future um that involves johnny davis or salberton i think you're in position to absolutely go and get a guy guy to uh you know be alongside Hallie um I don't necessarily think you need to run the offense as oh we're going to draft a primary and Hallie's our secondary and Johnny's our tertiary I just think like you get enough creation in the same room and they can all play off each other and they're serviceable on defense like let's roll the ball out and get going um like you know there's not one particular way to do offense however I like to have you know a lot of creation on the floor and I think if you have Hallie, Johnny, and then you're putting yourself in a position for in the 2023 draft, um, and you know I hate looking ahead because things don't always pan out as you seem, but 2023 draft is pretty star-studded at the top. Um, there's a chance you might be able to get a real, a real like high-level blue chip prospect. Um, so I would probably take Johnny if I were the Pacers, um, barring any of the top three or four being on the board. Um, and I would just continue to build with Hal Burton, not necessarily around, but John, I think Johnny and Hal Burton um, gives you not only a ton of, like not only a very good foundation, but it gives you a ton of flexibility. You can go in a ton of different ways. Your, your next guy could be a, a supernova wing creator. It could be a speedy point named Scoot Henderson, who just decimates paint touches. Um, there's a lot of like, those two guys are very both scalable in my opinion. Um, despite Johnny's high usage in college, both on offense and defense. Um, like obviously Holly's frail and fragile and whatever, whatever on defense, but like Johnny's going to be a damn good defender and Halliburton, whether you think he's a primary or not, like he's very capable on the ball and he's also very capable off the ball. I see Johnny in a similar light that gives you a ton of flexibility, whichever player you want moving forward. And in the rebuild, if you can simultaneously stockpile good players who you see high-end outcomes for who also fit together while maintaining flexibility and not like handicapping yourself to a certain need like i really ask for much more than that and we opened with like is this 2020 this 2022 draft my favorite um it's not because i like haven't found those like swing gambles that i love like even franz wagner didn't turn out to be like a gamble but that was a guy like a high upside guy you would swing on like someone like a josh giddy or like I, this class doesn't have that for me so in it was sharif get, for me last year i was it all was about sharif. I, it was sharif for me too um yes. i had him fifth 
<laughs> so, well, item I six, definitely... and everybody was roasting me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I wasn't tweeting back then at the time of the draft, but he was fifth um for me. So Sharif and uh, you, boy, would he be good at the Pacers right now? So uh, yeah, it's it's uh-huh. um so uh-huh. it's it's not it's I haven't found those guys where I can uh, see like a high high end outcome, but instead you get someone like Johnny Davis who I'm like I I'm not labeling he's gonna be a good starter in the league for twelve years. Like I just don't want to like myself bulletin board material. Very like a very good two way prospect who's going to give you flexibility and be a solid building block moving forward. And like at the sixth pick in this draft, I think that's a good outcome. I have one guy that I think is my swing guy, and I'll tell you who it is off the air because it's not Johnny Davis. But I do agree with basically everything you just said. I think you, you, you also didn't mention Duarte's name at all, but I like that pairing on the wing on I both sides. Yeah, like. Neither of them are going to be like awesome, like big wing creators or anything. But on the defensive side, it's very important to be switchable, and I think they both would be uh, and fit well on that end of the floor together and be disruptive enough to put together a strong defense. And Lord knows the Pacers need any sort of defensive help. Yeah, and it's it's just like rebuilding is funny because it's you at weekend. Duarte, Johnny Davis, maybe like Isaiah Jackson comes along, and all of a sudden you just like. Four years from now, I'm not. I'm not like saying Pacers are on their way to like a super rebuild, but like they have players, you have pieces. Um, and the one thing you can't necessarily do, like the most detrimental thing you do, is like completely strike out and like get nothing. As again, a Knicks fan, like you strike out, you don't get guys in their second contract, you don't get any value from them, and like the complete the complete idea of like stockpiling your rotation and stacking up these building blocks through the draft just goes completely out the window. Um, like we can talk about missing on high end outcomes and not getting like the guy of the like not getting Donovan Mitchell or not getting SGA. Like those are mistakes in themselves. You got to have something to show for it at least. Um, and I think Johnny Davis at, at the very minimum um, is going to give you something to show for. I think he'd be a good fit, and you've perfectly relayed what makes him an appealing fit at the NBA level. We'll see what happens for the Pacers in this draft, or if Davis. Goes in the range that we think he should go in versus what it seems like a lot of these plugged-in people seem like they think he should go in. The next prospect will do, like I said, will be Mark Williams. The Pacers have lots of centers, but you never know how these drafts can go, how the moves <laughs> can be made, and where things can go. And i got to cover all my top 14 guys. I am committed to my lotto, at least, even if it doesn't match the perceptive lotto. Jake, thank you very much for stopping by today. Where can people find you and all your work covering the draft and more? Of course. This was a ton of fun. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad we could fit this in. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Jake in the Paint. See, it's my plugged handle right under my name there. Uh, that's where everything's going to be. Uh, this summer, I'm doing a lot of content for Cerebro Sports. So go subscribe to our Substack. Uh, that's kind of where we're going to be pumping in through. Uh, me and good friend uh, PD Webb are doing a lot of draft content for the next couple of weeks uh, leading up to the draft. Following that, uh, it's AAU season, and I'm going to be on the ground for Cerebro. If grassroots is your kind of thing. I know a lot of people are maybe unwillingly dipping into the grassroots scene at the news of Shaden Sharp, but uh, I can assure you there, there's a fun basketball to be had there. So uh, if you're interested in uh, getting more plugged in with the high school stuff, um, I'll be there all July, my Twitter, and go give us a follow at Ruber Sports. Uh, doing a lot of good things over there. Highly recommended. Both Jake and Pete oh, do great wait, can work. I can I give one more shout out? I can't yes, you can. Plug. Uh, Mark Schindler and I do a draft podcast every week. We just recorded one today, which should be in your feed soon. It's called Tag the Roll, uh, at Tag the Roll on Twitter. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple. Um, this is now the perfect time to subscribe. So go listen to Mark and I. Uh, it's a great time.
Tag the Rolls, my favorite basketball podcast. Here's a problem with draft pods. Every time I start to like one, one or both people who do it get hired. <laughs> and then it's gone. That happened with the Stepien show. That happened with Pfeiffer and Max. And now I guarantee it's going to happen with you guys too. <laughs> so I can't fall in love with these draft pods because they all go away before I can really fall in love with them. Thank you, everybody, if you made it this far for listening uh, today. Tomorrow, I think we're going to be doing a mailbag. So please send in some questions about this offseason so I can babble about the Pacers and hear what you guys want to know more about. You can find me on Twitter at TVSTMBA and the show at Lockdown Pacers. Have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow.